You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Um. So we're, we're in the middle of this series called The Card is Our Culture, and we're talking about that card that uh, you've gotten if you're part of a small group. If you haven't gotten it yet, there are, there are some cards in the back here and also at the welcome station. You could pick one up. Um, and we're just kind of walking you through the process of using this card, what we call Three Steps Forward, to, um, to really... Uh, wrap yourself around the scripture in a more intentional way and in a more devotional way. So today we're on the third step, but before we get there, I want to give you an interesting fact. A couple of facts, actually, that I discovered in the last week. Um, according to Barna, that's a research group that looks at the state of the, the American church. According to Barna, eight, eight, 181 million people have opened the Bible in the last year. 181 million Americans have opened a Bible in the last year. That's an 8% increase from the year prior. And that jump may not seem like a huge jump to you, but evidently Barna says that's quite a story. 181 million people, 8% more than who opened the Bible the year before. So I want you to hold that statistic while I tell you another one. Um, that's not so much fun, actually. One in three Christians, one in three Christians in the United States, one in three Christians has stopped going to church in the last year. One in three. Not just paused, stopped. That's a body blow to the body of Christ. <laughs> a huge hit. So I'm listening to those two facts together Right, taken together and asking myself, what's the message we need to get? We who steward the body of Christ on earth, what's the message? And I'm not sure I've gotten all the good out of these two facts together, but I've had a few thoughts and I just wanna share them with you. Let me share the hard part first, and I, I hope I've interpreted this right. You can let me know if you have other thoughts. But there's a lot of wandering. That's one thought that I have. There's a lot of wandering, a lot of searching going on, that, which means there is a hunger. And you can detect that from the 181 million people who have opened their Bible for the first time hoping to feed or find something. That tells me there's a hunger. But there's also a loss of faith. Folks seem to be moving toward the Bible but away from the church. One in three people have left the church in the last year. And, it's, it's not, and, and that's not just quarantine numbers. That's, you know, that's... That's a decision to move away. Um, and, and it's not just our church, it's the church. Some of those two-thirds have, the two-thirds that are still going to church have just shifted churches. <laughs> that tells me that maybe, just maybe, not that people are lo losing faith in Jesus, but they're losing faith in people. And that's probably a truth we need to absorb. I don't think that's a big uh, like body blow to you in this moment, you're probably like, yeah, you actually just put words to what I've been feeling here for a while. Um, but, but it's probably something we need to absorb as followers of Jesus. 
We, we will probably be better able to serve the world right now if we can admit that folks have lost faith in each other. That's hard news. But there is good news. And the good news is that Jesus is not the one most people are mad at. Amen. <laughs> More people than ever are opening their Bible, which means there is a hope out there that Jesus is still the answer. And that's good news. And the better news for us who love Jesus and follow him and who have not lost faith in his people is, or at least have not lost faith in his church, his bride on earth, his body of on earth, is that this great reshuffling we've talked about over these last two or three weeks is also a great spiritual opportunity in the hands of a great and loving God who has always wanted us, who has longed for us to lead with hope. And if you want this message in one sentence, then I would say that's it. Uh, uh, not lead with hope, but lead with love. That's this message in three words, lead with love. That's not only what God is doing, but that's what he's calling us to do, lead with love. So if they're opening their Bibles, <coughs> excuse me, then let's open ours too. We get it that discipleship doesn't end here, but it can begin here. Because it is through the word that we begin to understand God and uh, God's love and his mission and our place in the story of God. And since this is where discipleship begins, since this is where discipleship begins, this is where we begin. We, we want to help at least a few of these 181 million people who are opening their Bibles up this year to know how to find Jesus for themselves and to discover God's love for us, all of us. So three weeks ago, we started with scripture contemplation. We talked about contemplation. That is hearing God's word on God's terms. And so we're teaching our groups to start with these questions when you open the word together. First, what does this reveal about God and his mission? And what does this reveal about the people of God? We want to be able to hear from God on his terms. That's step one in our three steps forward, contemplation, letting scripture speak on its own terms. And then step two is confession, not just where I've gotten it wrong, but also where I've gotten it right and how I've seen God at work or how I'm getting it right now that I see where God is at work. The places where I can grow, the places where I'm confessing faith, the places where I need grace. And so we're asking questions like, where am I missing it? And where am I getting it right? And what's the grace that I need? Those questions help us to deal personally with the intersection of the gospel and us. Bringing it home is an important step because we can ask all the right questions, we can give all the right answers. I can be the loudest prayer warrior on the corner and the biggest transforming, you know, or, or giver on Sundays, but if the world, word doesn't, sorry, if the word does not become flesh and live in me, then Paul says I'm just a clanging symbol, right? Paul says it's just a lot of noise if the word does not become flesh and live in me and through me in the act of loving others. So confession helps us to bring the, the, the work home to where we live. 
Where am I missing it in my love for others? Where am I getting it right? And what's the grace I need toward people who in the flesh I might not love so much right now? So three steps forward are contemplation, confession, and then communion. Communion is the third step in our three steps forward plan. And communion is about an encounter with God that sends us out into the world. And that's what we're after. That's the end goal, right? We're not after more head knowledge. We're after an encounter with God. I want your understanding of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be the church to be radically changed by an encounter. That's my heart, my prayer for you, my, my almost daily crying out for you is, Lord, help them to encounter you. Because I'm pretty worthless. But you, Jesus, help them to encounter you. I want you to become hungry for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I earnestly hope that this encounter will make you bold in seeking out his supernatural power. I want you to confess the places where you've gotten it wrong so Jesus has something he can work with in your life. I'm praying that you and I both will be filled with the kind of faith that will spill out into the world as love. That's the prayer. That's the hope. So each week, we've practiced these three steps forward, and we've been using the creation story in Genesis 1 as our example. It's not, doesn't end there. I mean, it literally begins there, but doesn't end there. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, and listen, Don, if you'll come. Don is going to read today from the Common English Bible. The Common English Bible is a really simple version. Every week, we've used a different version and um, just to give you a different flavor of the same passage and as Don reads I want to ask you to listen with these questions in mind first how does this passage inspire praise and thanksgiving in me and how does this inspire me to join God in his mission Don when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate the waters from each other. God made the dome and separated the waters under the dome from the waters above the dome, and it happened in that way. God named the dome sky. There was evening and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the sky come together into one place so the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. God named the dry land earth, and he named the gather waters seas. God saw how good it was. God said, let the earth grow plant life, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind throughout the earth. And that's what happened. 
the earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds, each according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning, the third day. God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will mark events, sacred seasons, days, and years. There will be lights in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth. And that's what happened. God made the stars and two great lights, the larger light to rule over the day and the smaller light to rule over the night. God put them in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with living things and let birds fly above the earth up in the dome of the sky. God created the great sea animals and all the tiny living things that swarm in the waters, each according to its kind, and all the winged birds, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. Then God blessed them, be fertile and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. God said, let the earth produce every living kind of thing, livestock, crawling things, and wildlife. And that's what happened. God made every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, and every kind of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw how good it was. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on the earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them, male and female. God created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give to you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds, and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be yours for food. To all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything he had made. It was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done. And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Don. So how does that passage inspire praise and thanksgiving for you? Just as an exercise, I took my Bible and just started writing in the margins of each day all the things I could be thankful for when I read that 
passage, I'm, I'm wondering, how does this passage inspire praise and thanksgiving for you? Can I get somebody to just share with me? That's, that's beautiful, yeah. The joy of seeing dirt produce, produce life. I know Cindy has a garden, and, and just to be able to put stuff in it, it looks like dirt, but then it produces life, and God was over that whole process. Really well done. Somebody else. God provides the provision for the call. God provides the provision for the call. Yeah, God, God not only provides the call, but the provision for the call. Everything was provided, clearly. Yeah, really good. One more, somebody else. What does this inspire in you as praise and thanksgiving? That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. The creation story is a confession of faith. When we read it and believe it, we are believing that this world was not created by accident. That every particle, every realm of it, everything that has breath and life is here by design and is born out of the love of God. That's what it's born out of. When we read it and we believe it, we're confessing faith in a God who has power to restore all that has been broken, including us, because he loves us. Because clearly, if he did not love us, he just smashed all this to smithereens a long time ago. But he, he sustains us in his love. That's what sustains us. So I thank God for sunlight. Come on, let me hear an amen. And I thank you for stars and atmosphere and gravity. And I thank you, God, for the ocean and for ground beneath our feet. I thank you for trees and fruit and the wild. And I thank you for night and for the sanity of sleep. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you for birds and fish. And I thank you for all the animals, the ones we have names for and the ones that scare us. I thank you for all of them. And God, I thank you for my life. I thank you, God, for people. That's a prayer a lot of us haven't prayed in a long time. But right now, can you just pray that prayer out loud? God, thank you for people. God, thank you for people. Thank you for people I love who are in my bubble, and thank you for people I only love because I'm supposed to, because I'm a Christian. Thank you, God, for the ones who aggravate the stew out of me and the ones who I stand in awe of. I thank you, God, for all the people you love. That's a prayer we need to remember how to pray, friends. Thank God for people, for my people, for his people. I wonder what praise and thanksgiving it inspires in you. And when it comes to people, I wonder, would you just take a minute to, um, to thank God for people in your life? Close your eyes, bow your head, and just, just a name, just a name. Lift up the people you thank God for. And you need to remember not all the people in your bubble, just other people too. Who do you thank God for? Say their names out loud.
Thank you for my parents, someone said. Somebody else. Thank you for my family. Someone else. My epic students. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for our, our epic students. Someone else. Thank you for my support group. That's a good one. Someone else. Thank you for this church. Amen. Someone else. Thank you for the medical service workers. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Thank you for you, and I thank you for you right back. Yes. One more. For our soldiers. I think y'all are saying the exact same thing together. Thank you for our soldiers, for our military. Amen. Amen. Man, man, how glorious to have an opportunity to just stop and remember to thank God for people. And then we trust and enjoy the goodness of the Creator. I'm looking at this little card. If you don't have one, there's some at these tables in the back and also at the Welcome Center. In the bottom third of the card, under communion, number two is to simply focus on God and enjoy Him. So it, the focus is, is just trusting and enjoying the goodness of a Creator who loves us. The second invitation, that's it. It just invites us to simply focus on God and enjoy Him. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. He's, uh, and he, Don read this, I want to remind you what it says. By the seventh day, God had finished the world he had been doing. I love the way NIV says that, the world he had been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, on that day, there's your on, Bill, on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God's last work of creation on the last day, almost like a crowning act, was to rest. So Sabbath is resting on everything he has done already. God created rest, and rest signified completion. And now we live inside his completion. So when we pray for hard things like the, the struggles in Afghanistan and the struggles in Nigeria, the struggles in Haiti or India, or, or even the struggles in your own home, remember that we pray for those things with, insure, uh, with assurance because we are praying from inside his completion. Don't miss that point. Rest for God was completion, not weariness. And when we rest, we are putting faith in God's ability to finish the work and to make it holy. I want you to notice this in Genesis 2, uh, verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested. So when we are invited to focus on God and simply enjoy him, it's, a, it's an invitation into the creation story. It's an invitation to rest in him. And you know the image that comes to my mind when I think about that? It's, it's the image of a baby being born and then handed to its mama. And, and, and the mama lays it on her chest so that the first thing the baby hears, Shema, <laughs> the first thing the baby hears is, is the heartbeat of its mom. 
It hears, it hears the mama's heartbeat, and it hears the mama's voice, and the whole job of that baby is to listen and to rest and to attach. Which is to say, trust, be fed. The whole job of the created is to listen and to rest and to attach and to trust what's ahead. You don't hear many babies when they come out saying, ah, I don't know what I'm gonna do when I'm 23 years old. You just don't worry, they just don't worry about that. I don't know where my money's coming from. How, who's, coming, who's paying for all this? You never hear that. They just trust. And, and, and so what's ahead really is, is kind of inherent in this whole picture of creation. I want you to hear how Paul words that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon festival, or a celebration of Sabbath. He says, this is what Paul says, these are all a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So that's a remarkable thought. We're told by Paul that Sabbath is a shadow. It is a vague glimpse of what's ahead for us in the kingdom of God. So this, this thing, that, to listen and enjoy God, it's so much more than rest. It is a glimpse of heaven. And when we practice it well, we are practicing heaven. So that little place on our card that little number two under communion, it is an invitation to a little taste of heaven. And I have to tell you, just typing that, this invitation to a little taste of heaven gave me such a hunger to stop and do it, you know, for the practice. Would you be willing to take a little time every day to simply stop, rest, attach, and taste heaven? Would you be willing to give a little time every day to that? And that's an important step because it's in communing with the heart of God. Remember, you, you lay your head on his chest and you hear his heartbeat. And you know what God's heartbeat is for? God's heart beats for people. And as we hear the heart of God, that's what gives us the courage and the grace and the desire to, to love his people the way he loves his people. So go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. He says, then God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. I thought I could do it without my glasses, I can't. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Listen, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who is community created more community. So how does this passage, how does this passage inspire me to join God in his mission? How does this passage inspire me to join God in his mission? Because he created us to be 
co-creators to join him in the work of tending this massive creation. So on the fallen side of this story, it means participating in the redemption of the world. As a way of helping you practice that, we give you on this card three little spaces where you can write the names of people you can pray for so that you can begin to get a heart for people again. We call it the Neighboring Initiative, and I'm going to let Chris describe it for you. Watch this. Who is my neighbor? Jesus was once asked this question, and apparently he thought it was such an important question that he took six verses to answer it. Six verses. Jesus' final conclusion was that we are neighbors to whomever we choose to show kindness. Think about it. Neighbors aren't necessarily friends. They are people in our world to whom we choose to show kindness. We are living in a time where kindness feels costly. But it's also a fruit of the Spirit that we believe Jesus wants to use to heal our world. So with that in mind, I want to tell you about our Neighboring Initiative. At the bottom of every Three Steps Forward card, there are three spaces. We are asking you to ask God for three people that you can consistently pray for and put their names on those lines. Then during your daily time seeking God using the Three Steps Forward card, Lift up their names before God. Ask God to bless them and pray that He will reveal Himself to them. Bring those names to your life group meetings too. And if it's appropriate, remembering to care for their souls and respect their privacy, pray for them as a group. We really encourage you to lift up their names before the Father and then just listen for the Holy Spirit about how He might have you specifically pray for them. Also. Ask the Lord if there is a next step in this neighboring initiative that He is inviting your group to take. Are there specific ways that your group can care for the names on your list? Are there ways that your group can be loving neighbors to them? Think about it like this. If you have a life group of five people and you simply ask the Holy Spirit to show you three people each that He is calling you to intentionally pray for, your neighboring initiative will be around 15 people. After praying and most importantly listening for the Holy Spirit, discuss what you sensed Him saying to your group about how your group can faithfully respond to His call to love your neighbors. As a next step, maybe the Lord will impress it on your group to invite some of these people over to have dinner at your home. Or maybe He will impress it on you personally to give them a call or shoot them a text and check on them. Maybe the Lord will impress it on you to take extra time to get to know the cashier at the coffee shop or to get to know a co-worker at work. Out of this neighborly love, we believe that the Holy Spirit will open up opportunities for you to share your story and your love for Christ. By taking up this initiative to love our neighbors as ourselves, you and your group are making space for God to make your walk with God a blessing for others. And you're allowing God to let your joyful, loving witness become invitational to those around us. So why are we doing this? 
It's not to get our neighbors to do any one thing in specific, but simply because Jesus told us to love them. What I hope you hear in this is not some strategic church growth plan, but rather a conscious decision to intentionally live out Jesus' second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. An initiative to consciously and consistently pray for God's goodness, mercy, and revelation over particular people's lives and to embody God's love through neighborly kindness towards them. And no, however, this may or may not be how any particular church grows, but it is how the kingdom grows. James says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. As I said earlier, we are living in a day and time when neighborly kindness feels costly. It's much easier to just retreat into the apparent safety of our own inner worlds. But this is where the people of God shine. This is where we get to put on display the glory and the goodness of God. Throughout history, over and over again, when the world has gone through notable periods of plagues, famine, and militant persecution, many Christians have operated with truly noteworthy kindness towards not only their friends and family, but also towards strangers and even those with whom they have great disagreements. Christians have often operated in powerful love towards even their enemies. And you know what happened? The gospel began to win the hearts of those around them. These Christians' love became so attractive that Jesus, the source of that love, also became very attractive. Eventually, that love became, for those outside of the kingdom, a doorway into a life of discipleship. They saw the great love of these Christians, these disciples of Jesus, and they became so captivated by that love that they chose to become disciples themselves. Great, intentional, neighborly love towards those around us is God's way of inviting people through us into a life of discipleship. So be of good hope. God has an amazing way of advancing the kingdom during times of adversity, and we get to choose to be a part of that one neighbor at a time. So join a group and live into the neighboring initiative, because if you want a city that looks like the kingdom of God, disciple people to follow Jesus. Be blessed. So who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Well, neighbors are the ones we choose to love. <laughs> neighbors are the ones we choose to love. And if someone comes to your mind, maybe that's God telling you this person needs to be your neighbor and they need to become not need to be not only in your mind, but in your prayers too. That's how the kingdom grows. It happens when we open our hearts and our prayers and our homes to other people. You know, Paul said, Galatians chapter 5, For you were called to freedom, brothers, but do not, leave, uh, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul says this, but if you bite and devour one another, be careful that you don't destroy one another. And then Jesus said, John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, people will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. 
And Jesus is the one who said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And he said, a second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what makes Christian, a, a Christian a Christian. It's the kind of community we form. It's in how we love, how we bear each other's burdens. And as we feel that support and that love, then we uh, find encouragement to share that with others. And it, it doesn't have to be super structured. That's what we're trying to say here. Just pick three people. Start praying for them. That's it. You don't have to know where it leads. You don't, have to, you don't have to do anything for them. Just pick three people and start praying for them. Like the baby listening to the heartbeat of its parent. You're just listening to the heartbeat of God for three people. So whoever is in your mind can be in your heart, can be in your prayers. Just start there. So name three people in your world who need a miracle. <laughs> do that. Who in your life needs a miracle? Because community is built on that principle of other-centeredness, and what we're trying to do is connect other people with the power of God. That's what we want, right? We show up for church not just for ourselves, but for the sake of others. We show up in small groups not just for our own edification, but so we can build others up. And because we who are in community get it, that sometimes we need them and sometimes they need us. Until that part sinks in, I mean really sinks in, then I, you know what? I think until that sinks in, really sinks in, this feels a little gimmicky. I mean, or at least I wondered if it would feel gimmicky to you. So I, I wanna say that reading the Bible isn't a whole work. What I mean is it's not finished until it's embodied. Until it puts on flesh and walks around the neighborhood. And that, friends, is not a gimmick. That's the gospel. Amen. Just as the word became flesh for us, found us in our most distressing state and began to love us right where we are, just as that same word now prays for us, Jesus prays for us just as he prays for us. Now we're called to be that for others to dress everything we absorb of the gospel in our flesh and walk it out into the community. Last week, I went looking. I don't know what made me do it, but I, I looked up the very first message I ever preached at Mosaic when we were at Evans High School, the first Sunday we had public worship. And I want to share with you how I ended that message. I wrote this, or I said this, or I preached this. As I've prayed for you, I've wondered, what are your questions? What questions do you bring with you into this new community? Will they care about my children? How will I be fed? What makes this church different from all the other churches? How are they going to make a difference in our community? What do these people really believe? Will we be a feel-good place or a place that takes the gospel seriously? 
Will these people understand my addiction, my divorce, my pain? Will I be accepted here? Can I be real or do I need to put on a face? Will, will anybody remember my name? Those are the questions I might ask if it was my first day here. And I have to say, I think those are great questions, fair to ask. But if the pattern of scripture holds true here also, then ultimately these questions are the details. The first and most important question is this. Has the word become flesh for you? Because until he does, until Jesus becomes real and lives in you, transforming your character and your relationships, then the rest isn't the point. That's all Jesus asks of anybody. Let the word live in you. Become completely his. Surrender. Let him become yours. And what Jesus asks of us individually, Jesus will ask of this community of faith. He will ask us collectively to let the word live in us, to let it change us so that all that matters for us collectively is that we become a place of deep love and real joy, light in a dark world. In 18 years, that has not changed for me. That was my heart when there were six of us around a kitchen table, and that's my heart today, friends. My heart is for the, for the word to become flesh for us, to become flesh for us and through us, so that our presence in this city small as it is, so that our little presence in this city pleases God and makes a difference. You want a city that looks like the kingdom of God? Disciple people to follow Jesus. So what does that look like for you right now? How can you join God? How can you join God in the work of building his kingdom on earth. I just think it's, it starts in that place of listening for his heart. So I want to ask you to stand where you are. I, wanna, I just want to ask you to stand so that your posture changes, so that your mind gets in a present place. And I want to pray over you and for you and on your behalf. And Lord, I, my heart, my heart, my deep heart, my deep heart for Jesus. I think I have let it, Lord. I think I have let my heart for Jesus get confused with my frustration with people. And it has, it's done some damage. It's done a work. And I have to confess that, Lord. That's a place where I'm missing it. I just 
just want to lay my, my head on your chest right now, Jesus. I just want to put my head there and hear your heartbeat for people again. I want to remember that those things that I was so passionate about 18 years ago and that so many of us who are here today were, who were there were all so passionate about. People, seeing people healed and saved and delivered, their lives redeemed, their, their stories changed. Lord, I, wanna, I just want to remember that. I want to hear your heart. I want to hear your heart. I want to hear your heart. Father, I pray that you would give us all the grace, give all of us the grace to take the word and to embody it and to walk it out. My heart is that the world would know your heart, Lord. Let it start with me. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.